Good morning, and welcome to Our American Heritage. I am Mark Chunder, the host of the program. Our American Heritage is a program where we explore in depth the American experience from its beginning through the present. And today we want to welcome back as our, our guest, Mark Erbach. Mark, welcome back, and thanks for coming back to the show. Thanks for having me, Arch. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, we thank you very much. Uh, we talked about, uh, on previous shows, about you doing something on Washington's farewell address. But before, Mark, you get into that, would you share with our listeners a little bit of your background? And then we'll move right into Washington's farewell address. Sure. I uh, currently live in Atlanta, Georgia. I taught in the public schools for 11 years, uh, social studies, U.S history, world history, civics, and economics. I'm an author of two books. The latest book is Believe, Do We Need a Third Great Awakening? You can find it on Amazon. I'm a public speaker here in Atlanta, uh, and I'm the communications director for We the Kids. And we also want to congratulate you, Mark, and everyone that lives in the Atlanta area and anyone that is a fan of the Atlanta Braves. So congratulations for now being the world champion Atlanta Braves. So Yeah, they uh, it was quite, a, quite an exciting series. They they earned it. What what was your interest originally that got you interested in Washington's farewell address? Um, I started reading it several years ago, and it was just so powerful. The warnings and the uh, the desires that he had for the American people, and I found out through through reading it that it was studied for over a hundred years in our schools and our law schools. Politicians studied it, and the nation followed his principles for almost a hundred years. Um, Abraham. Lincoln had the Union troops read it once a year during the Civil War. So it's a very, very powerful document. And once you take the time to read it, you'll come to the same conclusions that I have, that um, many of his warnings and his desires should be still uh, observed today in our present time. This is, Mark, a curiosity question that I have. I know that in 1792, Madison did a lot of the early notes and writing of the farewell address that Washington decided to have a second term. At the end of his second term, he chose Alexander Hamilton to do most of the writing. Is there a significance of that, or was it just a, a, a change in attitude and philosophy between the two men that Washington chose to help with the farewell address? Yes, it's a great question. I researched that, and I really couldn't find an answer why Washington let Hamilton do most of the writing or, or edited the, the farewell address. So maybe it was because Washington just wanted a second opinion. I mean, okay. that could be the clear common sense answer. I really, I'm not really sure, though. Okay. That's, you know, that again, that's between you and I, that's the historians coming out and that's where we, we, we said, hmm, I wonder if there's a, a situation here. But so that's right. my curiosity. All right. So, Mark, begin to take us through uh, the farewell address and, and pick out uh, some of the very important points that Washington was trying to present to America as he was leaving the political scene. Sure. The first one I'll point out is his love of patriotism. He said, quote, the name of American, which belongs to you in your national capacity, must always exalt the just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from local discriminations. With slight shades of difference, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. So he's basically saying, be proud to be an American, more so than where you live. Realize that you have slight differences and are mostly the same and fought for independence and liberty. He wants to bring people together because he knew there are many, many different types of Americans. You know, there are German Americans, all the different ethnicities or, or, or different European countries where people came from. So he said, always remember which belongs to you in your national capacity, the just pride of patriotism more than any area where you live. And I, I guess that incorporates not only 
family, you know, coming to America as an immigrant, but even a lot of those that came during or before the revolution and also now the individual states that we are first right. Americans. People, right. People at that time were extremely loyal to their states. They were, they called themselves Virginians, New Yorkians, New Jerseyans. And he says, we can't have that. You must, you must take just pride in patriotism more than your local, where you, where you locally live. And <laughs> we see, we see how much of so many people today have diverted away from that and, you know, putting, put the asterisk in there or the, or the, uh, you know, apostrophe or the dash between something Americans or some American something, you know, rather than we're right. American. Yeah. Right. That's true. Uh, do you, would you like me to talk, talk to you about how he felt about political parties? Oh, p- 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 pick out anything, you know, again, there is so much here, Mark, that we could spend, you know, several shows doing this. So <laughs> pick out, right. pick out any of the important, you know, some of the important points. How's that? So it's yours sure. by the okay. floor. Okay, here we go. Quote, he's talking about political parties and he says, quote, they serve to organize faction, to give it an artificial and extraordinary force to put in the place of the delegated will of the nation, the will of party, often a small but artful and enterprising minority of the community. And then he goes on to say, political parties become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will be enabled to subvert the power of the people and and to usurp for themselves the reins of government. That's so he was very, very much he very much warned the nation about the the warning of political parties, which quote have an artificial and extraordinary force end quote and are put in quote the place of the delegates end quote. They become potent engines by which cunning, ambitious, and unprincipled men will usurp the power of the people and usurp the reins of government. So that's that's a clear warning how he felt about political parties, and he was exactly correct in my opinion. And Mark, that those words you just quoted, they're they're very eerie because that is so prophetic of what we see today going on in our country. That's true. People have a tremendous loyalty to their political party and not to the country. They feel that some people won't even talk to other people because they're they're the different political party. That's that's yeah. what we've gotten today. Wow. And don't Mark, isn't didn't Washington begin to see this uh, play out early in his presidency between either Adams and Jefferson or Jefferson and Hamilton, and he already began to see that the uh, the divide that so greatly concerned him? Yeah, he says, quote, yeah, you're exactly right, he says, quote, I have already intimated to you the danger of parties in the state with particular reference to the founding of them on geographical discrimination. Let me now take a more comprehensive view and warn you in the most solemn manner against the baneful effects of the spirit of party. It serves always to distract the public councils and enfeeble the public administration. It agitates the community with ill-founded jealousies and false alarms, kindles the animosity of one part against the other, foments occasional riot and insurrection. It opens the door to foreign influence and corruption. So right there, he's warning the nation again about the effects of political parties. And Mark, I will say it again. I'm thinking, boy, those words are so prophetic for what we see right. going on today. It's 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 mind blowing that, that that he would say this 240 240 some years ago, and we can see that exactly how it's been playing out in our country today. You're exactly right. And that's why I love the document because it he force he foresaw what was going to happen, and he warned us about these these problems. Um, what else would you like what, what else would you like to learn about the document? Um, well, talk to about Washington's uh, advice to Americans about you know foreign countries and 
getting uh, too involved with foreign countries? And why, why why was he so hesitant to he to, to think about doing that? Okay, there's a very good question. Here's the quote. Uh, it's on the it's towards the end of the document. Quote, and he's talking about he's talking about foreign influence. Quote against the insidious wiles of foreign influence. I conjure you to believe me, fellow citizens. The jealousy of a free people ought to be constantly awake, since history and experience prove that foreign influence is one of the most baneful foes of Republican government. So I believe I believe he knew they all knew the history of Europe very well. Mm-hmm. And they knew that if you aligned yourself, if the United States aligned itself with one foreign nation, it would pick a fight with another. And that's what he didn't want to do. And Mark certainly did not we see that play out in Europe, you know, pre-World War One and what happened in Europe with those alliances between nations in Europe. Yeah, that's what led to the bloodbath of World War One, the secret oh. alliances that the nations had. Someone someone could have stepped up in World War One and said, We're not gonna have a war and slaughter millions of people and soldiers. We're not gonna have this. We need to step back for a moment and resolve the differences. You know, the World War One started because of um <laughs> wasn't it the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand? Yes, it was. <laughs> yes. Right, right. That was that was that was a that was a match that lit the fire or the fire that the fire that started the whole the whole war. Yeah. And unfortunately unfortunately because of the, the foreign influence and the alliances, the war started. Mm. Um, I'm shaking my head again because so much of this is a, a prophetic warning that we, we, we see today. Why what was Washington's hesitancy, Mark? Because he warned about standing armies against right. standing armies. Yeah, he was very, 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 very much against standing armies. One, they're very expensive. And two, quote, this is what he says. Hence, quote, hence, likewise, they will avoid the necessity of those overgrown military establishments, which under any form of government are inauspicious to liberty and are which are to be regarded as particularly hostile to Republican liberty. And what I wrote, and that's the end, that's the end of the quote. I said, perfect example is what Nazi Germany did to liberty and Republican (laughs) principles. The Jews minority were stripped of all their rights and murdered. Standing armies can be very dangerous. And he predicted basically what what I just said, what happened in Nazi Germany. The standing army completely took over the whole nation Mm -hmm. and and stripped stripped the uh, Jews of their rights, their liberty, and the the government's Republican principles. How have we been able to fight that off throughout our history uh, with Washington's warning, you know, we haven't seen that necessarily totally play out in our country. How have we been able to, to handle having a standing army, even though he he warned us against them? Well, I, I, I'm not an expert, but I believe before World War II, our standing army was very, very small before Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And then after Pearl Harbor, after obviously after Pearl Harbor, it greatly escalated. But before that, it was a small standing army. Um, I'm not sure how large our army is today, but I do know it's the common sense. They're very expensive. Um, it's, it can corrupt the country in terms of the contracts that are given to the uh, military industrial complex, the, the military companies. So uh, it'd be interesting to see an audit of how much money is spent per year on the military budget. I, up off the top of my head, Mark, I believe that a couple of years ago, it was something like $296 billion. <laughs> Right, right. And a lot of that is contracts mm-hmm. with the military companies. And, you know, you, we have to pay the soldiers, which I don't have a problem with. Right. They, they should be paid more. Yes, yeah, so it's a large budget. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Washington, again, warned 
us Americans about the absolutely need for checks and balances and warn the country about how important that they they were. So share that with our, our listeners, please. The checks and the need for checks. Yeah, he was, and yeah, Washington presided over the Constitutional Convention. So if anybody knew the Constitution well, it was Washington, yeah. James Madison and, and some others. But Washington knew it like the back of his hand. And in his farewell address, he said, quote, a just estimate of that love of power and proneness to abuse it, which predominates in the human heart, is sufficient to satisfy us of the truth of this position. The necessity of reciprocal checks in the exercise of political power by dividing and distributing it into different depositories and constituting each the guardian of the public wheel against invasion by the others hmm. has been evinced by experiments, ancient and modern, some of them in our country and under our own eyes. To preserve them must be as necessary as to institute them. Wow. And Washington seemed to have a very astute idea of if human beings, if people got power, what 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 they would do with it. Oh, most definitely. The, the founding fathers were very well versed in the Bible, and the Bible is very clear that when people rise to power, when a person rises to power, it gets it, they develop an ego, and it gets to them, and they they can become tyrannical. And he was very much against that, like most of the founding fathers were. Wow. Uh, he also said he also said for the checks and balances, quote. Um, the spirit of encroachment tends to consolidate the powers of all the departments into one and thus to create whatever the form of government, a real despotism. So he was concerned about centralization of power and the need for the checks and balances. Wow. And Mark, as I was reading through the, the Washington's farewell address, I noticed that he warned Americans that the, that our Constitution needs to be preserved in its original intent and the only way we can all it is to amend it, not to interpret it. Am, am I correct in, in see, reading that in Washington's farewell address? Yeah, you're, you're very much correct. He said, quote, that the free constitution, which is in the work of your hands, may be sacredly maintained, that its administration in every department may be, may be stamped with wisdom and virtue. So he's basically saying, keep the constitution true to its word, strictly observed, only wise and virtuous representatives in the Congress. Mm-hmm. Where, again, Mark, we have seen now for the past, what, 20 some years, I guess, that how the courts and a lot of times Supreme Court, they will, they're not looking at the Constitution and judging a law if it's constitutional, but they're in, they're interpreting it the way they believe it should be, which is absolutely opposite of the checks and balance systems that we have. Right. A clear example is that, as I remember, uh, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, she's a his, of Hispanic or Latin or Spanish dissent, she put her own opinion on the DACA case, the mm-hmm. DACA case. Mm-hmm. And I clearly remember when she came out with a comment saying that, you know, something about because of her background that these these immigrants should be should become uh, citizens quickly. Um, she put her opinion above the law. And that's right. a clear example of clear example of a justice doing that. And one of my famous quotes from um, Antonin Scalia, when he said, if the Constitution can say anything, it really says nothing. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Mark, talk about Washington really encouraged and, and reminded us about the importance of morality and religion a, a, as we live as Americans and how important that is for not only the tre- present, but for the prosperity and of the future of America. Yeah, this is this is my favorite. And thank you for asking this. This is my favorite part of the present of the speech or his, his farewell address. He says, quote, of all the dispositions and habits which lead to political
political prosperity, religion and morality are indispensable supports. In vain mm. would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars of human happiness. Let it simply be asked, where is the security for your property, reputation for life, if the sense of religious obligation desert the oaths, which are the instruments of investigation in courts of justice? So he's basically saying what makes our politics work properly is religion and moral. And he says you can't call yourself a patriot if you subvert these great pillars of human happiness. He was very much a Christian man, very very much believer in God, um, you know, the, the uppity college professors in the early 1900s, they were the ones who started calling the founding fathers, quote, a bunch of atheists, agnostics, and deists. Mm -hmm. That's where the, that's where it started in the early 1900s. But throughout the 1800s, Americans knew that Washington was a very Christian-like man. He also says, quote, um, and then he warns the nation, and let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience, both for us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. Promote then, as an object of primary importance, institutions or schools for the general diffusion of knowledge. So he's basically saying that we cannot be a moral nation without religion. We must hold on to our religion and morals. And Arch, you know the quote from John Adams. Didn't he say our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people? Yes, I was just thinking that. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right, right. It is, it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's John John Adams. And that's again, we, we see that, you know, we see where our country is today, Mark, and, and we see what we view as a deterioration in, in our society. And often we, we can correlate a lot of that back to if we don't have uh, in the moral principles to be at least decent and honorable human beings, we don't have a constitution for very long. We don't have a country for very long if that's where right. it's, it's heading. Oh. You're exactly right. You know, it's interesting. I believe the farewell address is read once a year in the Senate. I think they do that. Do they do that? Yes, they do it. And it, it would be wise. It would be wise if you would have a politician or a citizen stand up and say, "Look, this should be this should be aired on the uh, on daytime television for the for the length that is that is read, and that uh, students should watch it in the schools because it was studied for over a hundred years in our schools. And um, you know, people people complain that the virus has caused all this huge rate in crime the past year and a half. Pure nonsense. Pure nonsense. Yeah. People's hearts are people's hearts are corrupted because they don't have morals, they don't have a religious aspect in their life, and they act out on their feelings. And this is what we have in America today. We have a nation where parts of the nation are very irreligious, very unmoral, and crime is sword. And again, as you said, we see that as we, in our culture and society. Speak, Mark, about what Washington called false patriots. Oh, very good question. Very good question. Let me find it in the in the document. Oh, here we go. It's towards it's towards the end of the present of his farewell address about false patriots. He says, "Quote to warn against the mischiefs of foreign intrigue, to guard against the impostures of pretended patriotism. This hope will be a full recompense for the solicitude for your welfare by which they have been dictated." So he's basically saying, "Be careful with citizen. Be careful with citizens that are false patriots." And um, James Madison also warned us of men who might obtain appointments with foreign predilections. So both mm -hmm. Washington and James Madison warned us about false patriots because they might look like a patriot. They might sound like a patriot, but in back in their minds, they're passing bills and laws to subvert the nation for their own good. Mm -hmm. 
so prophetic, Mark. Just so prophetic. Uh, with with Washington now, t- tell our listeners about how this address was presented to the nation. Okay, very. It's a good question. He, I don't believe Washington actually spoke the words. It was printed in the newspapers. I don't believe, unless you can tell me I'm wrong. I don't believe he actually spoke these words to the nation, like in a press, like in an address. Isn't right. that correct? Why Washington? I find it ironic, Mark, that Washington really did not like to speak publicly. So so many of of, of his speeches or the farewell addresses were printed because Washington really didn't like to be out in you know to giving speeches to the to the public. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're exactly correct. It's very interesting. The man was the man was quite a genius, but for for his own reasons, he didn't like to give speeches. And Mark, as we're a few minutes here, you know, didn't Washington in the farewell address he also asked the nation to for, forgive him for any of his deficiencies or his faults or mistakes that he had made as uh, as the leader of our country? You're exactly right. Correct. He did that. I'm trying to find where in the document he said that. But yeah, he was very, very, he had tremendous, tremendous um, humility. Uh, he always wanted to make sure he, he apologized for any for any wrongs that he did, uh, even if there were very few. He wanted people to realize that he was, you know, he, he was a, it was fine to apologize for your fault. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> Today, you know, we see we see what happens today with our politicians. So we'll excuse everything away. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right, right. So, so when when this when this was given, uh, do you know what was the response of the American people as they read Washington's farewell address? It's a wonderful question. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find the answer. I haven't oh. I haven't found any private letters that refer back to the a citizen reading the document in the newspapers. Uh huh. And Mark Washington understood that in part of the document when he says a just estimate of that love of power and proneness to you know to to have that. And now here we see a man who was probably is the most popular American. He he has two terms and he retires. Right. Which yeah, sets he the, set the principle. Go yeah, ahead. you're exactly right. He set the yeah he set the pres- the precedent for two terms uh, for the president, and it lasted what until. Uh, FDR. Yes. Um, he yeah. he was very and w- wasn't it a fact that Napoleon said that Washington goes down as one of the greatest men in the history of the world or something like that? Yeah, he, Napoleon said it, and also you know King George said it when Washington resigned his commission as our commanding general. When um, King George said, "My goodness, this must be the greatest man that's ever lived. How can anyone, any man, man, give up that power?" Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Quite so amazing. we 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 see we see why Washington is considered not only the father of our nation but also the greatest American that's ever lived because he set the precedent for what he believed our country should be in his presidency as the commanding general and then the example he set when it was time to leave the stage and hand hand that power on to someone else to to run the country. So just a phenomenal. Yeah, you're exactly right. And if if anyone just started listening. We're talking about George Washington's farewell address, and I heavily recommend that you read it. It's only about a 25, what, about 25-minute read, 25 yes. to 30-minute read to, mm-hmm. to let it sink in and take your own notes. But it's so valuable in our society today, especially the religious aspect. 
Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it's so prophetic with what he warned our country that could potentially happen. And we see so many of those warnings being played out today in our in, in our country. It's 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 very sobering to see it. So right, you're exactly right. So so we're, unfortunately, Mark, we're up against the time. But again, we want to thank you for coming back and sharing some of these very powerful and important points of Washington's farewell address and to hopefully it'll continue to keep all of our eyes open and sober to what is going on in our country and how we need to continue to adhere to the Constitution and see the example that Washington was as our leader of our country to, so we can continue to pass that on to, to future generations. So thank you for sharing some of these important points with our listeners. You're welcome, Mark. Thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you. And thank you so much again also for coming back and hopefully that um, you will in the future come back and, and we can talk about other historical situations in our country. All right. Look forward to it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again, Mark. We want to thank you for coming. Congratulations again for your world championship and for, you know, being the communication <laughs> director now for, for We the Kids. So congratulations and thank you very much for coming. So this is... All right. Thank uh, you. Right. Thank you're you. welcome. Thanks for having us. This is... Uh, thanks for having... For coming and sharing with us. This is 1180 AM WFYL, working for your liberty. 